Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome to episode 49. Today, Pippin and I welcome Drew Janes, who led the release of WordPress 4.2 earlier this year. Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to have you on. Yeah. Uh, before we dig in to the challenges of leading the 4.2 release, um, I was thinking uh, I'd like to take a few minutes to raise a glass to Alex King, who we lost to cancer last week. Alex was a huge influence in the WordPress community and a very successful entrepreneur as well. But, you know, rather than list his achievements, I thought we could just share our stories of Alex. Um, Pippin, how did you how did you know Alex? I actually had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times, um, several times just kind of in passing at different word camps. Um, and I'd always been impressed with him. Both I, I had been familiar with some of his work or a lot of his work really. I mean, he was very, very prevalent throughout the WordPress community and outside. But I also had the opportunity to sit down and have dinner with him once, I think at either Pressnomics or WordCamp Phoenix. It was one of those times when you, if you've ever been in a place where you sit down or are in um, a close space with somebody who you've looked up to for years and years and years, uh, it's a really cool experience. And so I got to sit down and have dinner with Alex. And I just remember being so incredibly humbled by how friendly, conversational he was. And like, here's this, here's this guy, Alex, who everyone in the WordPress world knows every, a lot of people outside. He's had amazing influence throughout the development world. And here he was just a very casual, nice conversation. And I remember being extremely humbled and honored that he actually knew me by name. Um, I, I like, I felt like a nobody and here's Alex. And like, to me, that was, that was a really great symbol for who Alex was, that he was always so friendly to everybody. It was an awesome person. Yeah. I remember, I remember someone uh, saying to me like something like, Hey, he's just, he's just like, he's just a geek. He's just like us, you know, he's like totally geeking out with, you know, on de- dev stuff with me, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. but he's, but he's like running this, you know, you know, big profile agency, you know, dev agency too, you know? So yeah, yeah he, I think that was like, that was an interesting comment that someone made. I was like, yeah, I guess I never thought of it that way. I guess some people thought that like Alex was like kind of more of a business person, right? And he, I guess he was, he was, he was. Well, I mean, both, he clearly ran know? a very successful business that is, that's still around today, crowd favorite. Uh, I think he was the original founder of that. Um, yes, yeah, that's he, right. he was a geek. Yeah. Drew, did you have well, an opportunity to spend time with him ever? Well, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned the, you know, you mentioned crowd favorite because I always knew Alex as the incredibly intimidating owner of crowd favorite, <laughs> which, which here is the local shop, right? Right. Denver, you know, you know, I met him a couple of years ago, finally, and he wasn't intimidating at all, but it was, it seemed like so intimidating to work for Alex King. You know, he was the original originator of WordCamps in Denver. Um, he and crowd favorite ran the first two WordCamps in 2009 and 2010. Awesome. And um, we had him on as a moderator for this really, really successful UX panel in 2013. Um, and I had an opportunity to bond with him then. And that was honestly, you know, he told us the worst thing about panels is that they have terrible moderators. And we said, well, that's why we picked you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, you know, he, he was a great guy and he was immensely talented. I just read uh, Matt Mullenweg posted a really nice um, remembering Alex King post. And something that I had I had never known was that Alex had actually been around in the WordPress world since before WordPress. He started on V2. Uh, and that was news to me. I, I mean, I knew that Alex had been around for a long time, but he's literally he was literally here from the beginning. Yeah, uh, that was that's a really amazing. good post that uh, that Matt made actually uh, about Alex. Uh, yeah, I thought awesome. it was really well, really well done. Um, so yeah, we'll link that up in the show notes so everyone can take there, a look. There's two other really nice um, posts for Alex that you should check out. We'll link them as well. And that was one that Brian Krogsgaard wrote up on post status and then another one from Jeff Rowe at, at the WB Tavern. And we'll link them all in the show notes. Cool. So, um, so yeah. I just want to say that uh, I met Alex for the first time uh, at Pressnomics, actually. 
like he was very enthusiastic about the WP App Store and he was emailing with me back and forth before I even met him in person and and kind of helping me uh, along a little bit. Um, and that was that was really cool. I was I was super humbled by that. I was like, "What? Alex is reaching out to me? Like, I'm nobody." <laughs> you know? yeah. And we we played around a golf uh, at Pressnomics as well. And you know, we both shared a, a kind of a passion for for sports and golf in particular. So that was that was pretty pretty special, right? To to be able to do that. So yeah. he definitely you know. left his mark on the community. So yeah, Alex was awesome. Yeah, so you will be missed for sure. Yep. All right, uh, Drew, let's let's dive into you for a little bit. Uh, we <laughs> want to talk about uh, some of your experiences leading WordPress 4.2 and some more generic kind of open topics around uh, the aspects of leading development for large community-driven projects such as WordPress. Before we do that, though, um, you I believe your technical title was Platform Engineer at TenUp. That's right. You, uh, what does that mean? Uh, I'm actually the originator of this title, um, and this actually hasn't been announced yet. <laughs> ah! Um, Whoops. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, whatever. It's, um, it, it essentially means that I am solely focused on one platform that Tenet relies on, which in this case, of course, is WordPress. Um, you know, the standard titles at Tenup or, you know, web engineer, senior web engineer or whatever. Um, and as I moved from them donating basically half of my time to now 100% of my time, we had to come up with something better than web engineer. Uh-huh. So, uh, pla- so cool. platform engineer, that title hasn't been announced. Is that what you said? That's right. <laughs> but but you've updated your Twitter profile already. I have. That's <laughs> Yeah, it's because it. Let's just say it should have been announced already. Okay, <laughs> okay, I see. Well, that's all right. It should be soon. Two people listening to this podcast. Um, yeah, we'll be fine. Okay, so you're 100 percent on WordPress, uh, WordPress core, right? WordPress core and community because it's not just core, but yeah, right. That's awesome. So in this case, does community mean things like uh, WordPress.org itself, that with the the meta team, or basically yeah. anything involved with the WordPress project? Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty active on three or four different teams, core docs, meta. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of projects that I work on that are hybrids of all three of those things. So like the developer hub, for instance. Very cool. What's that? What's a developer hub? Developer hub is, um, as part of the docs roadmap that we formulated a couple of years ago in Cincinnati, uh, we built, that's the code reference. That's the, there's a Dashicons reference. There's the theme and develop theme and plugin developer handbooks. Right. It's developer.wordpress.org, right? Right. The, developer. the new version of the codex. Ah, I see. I see. So yeah. and that's and that's separate. Right. It's the new version of the codex. It's separate from the make blog stuff. It's yeah, it's right. separate from the make network. It's essentially the difference like between the codex and the developer hub is or the developer references. The codex is community documentation and the developer references official documentation. Ah, okay. Am, am I right that uh, at some point the plan is to actually remove the codex completely? That's right. Cool. <laughs> Eventually. I mean, that's not going to be. Yeah, that's a long process for sure. Yeah. I, I am impressed with how far the developer paid, the developer.wordpress.org site has come since it first launched not even that long ago. Is it? Is it? Even a year old at this point? Uh, well, it's actually been up for a while, but I think Matt announced it at the during the State of the Word at WordCamp San Francisco last year. Okay. But it's been up. I mean, it was up for probably six months before he announced it. So Sure. But it's, it's definitely progressing very fast, it seems. Absolutely. Uh, well, and, you know, I mean, as part of the work that I do on Core as the docs committer, um, you know, the developer references displayed from parse documentation that comes from the source. And that's why we had to have sort of somebody managing and maintaining the source documentation because it goes directly into the code reference. Got it. Well, that's very cool. So let's move on and, and talk about uh, WordPress 4.2, which is the uh, the release that you led back in, let's see, January of this, this year, I believe, 2015? Yeah, I think it was January to April. Okay. So 
you led that release, and this was a big release that had a couple of significant improvements. Um, customizer theme switching was one, Ajax plugin updates. I believe this was the first part of the shared term splitting timeline and was also the big emoji release, emoji slash um, uh, UTF-8 MB4. So, and, oh, and also press this. Um, right. What does leading a release really entail? I mean, obviously there's, <laughs> there's a lot of the, there's development that happens. I mean, because new features are built, bugs are fixed. But as a release lead, you're not doing all that development. What what is what does a release lead really do? Maybe tell us a little bit about that. You know, I think a good sort of parallel is um, if anyone's ever organized a WordCamp or organized a, an event, right? I think that's maybe a good parallel to what a release lead does. It's you're essentially wrangling resources. You're a project manager, right? You're herding um, ca- herding cats. Is that another uh, metaphor? Sometimes, <laughs> sure. I think it's. Uh, it's definitely managing your resources in, in a project where everyone's a volunteer. That can be a challenge. Um, so it helps to have a good base of knowledge in terms of how rele- how previous releases work, you know, things that maybe didn't work in previous releases that you want to try and improve on. Um, but it's, it's largely project management. You're working, you're keeping track of so many different details that you can't even imagine. <laughs> Right. How much uh, development do you do personally? Like, do you, do you get into the code during that time or do you, you keep out of it? You know, you can. It depends on what your focuses are going to be during the release. I mean, Scott Taylor has been doing, I mean, he's beating all of us in terms of development in 4.4. So it's not like you can't be involved in development. I think and he, he's released leave for 4.4, isn't he? That's right. And he has like, I think, almost 400 commits in this release. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's pretty ridiculous. Speaking it's, of commits, I believe um, Wednesday you <laughs> that you had just passed your 1,000th commit to WordPress Core. Congratulations! That's right. that's, Thank a, you. that's awesome. The millennium. Well, <laughs> the, the really, the really, really cool thing about that, I think, is that like probably 950 of those were docs commits. So, um, which know. is really, really awesome because the inline and developer docs are just not something that a lot of projects see. Maybe people have very varying levels of appreciation for it, but I will tell you personally, I absolutely love the the docs, the work that you put into internal docs and WordPress core. There, yeah. awesome. I mean, I think at last count, I added or added or fixed something like thirty five thousand lines of documentation in core. So that's in a thousand commits. That's that's what you get. So a one to, to three. Just block. to be clear, we're we're talking about mainly about doc block comments, mm-hmm. like above yeah. functions and 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 that kind of thing, right? That's right. Okay, cool. So, so you've been going through and fixing fixing a bunch of inconsistencies, I guess, and and uh, adding probably new documentation where it's missing. Right. Is that well? And initially, it was the reason I was originally granted. Um, guest committer status in the first place was because I was leading the effort to document all the hooks in core. Right. And that, that spanned the 3.7, 3.8, and 3.9 releases. Um, so when that was finished, I just kept going. <laughs> right. I've noticed those those hook comments, by the way, and they're spectacular. So nice to, to go to a hook. You know, you do, you find, and you find it in the code, and then there's actually a doc block in there that actually tells you about it. <laughs> Well, and so one thing a lot of people don't know is that we actually, so we, we developed a, an inline documentation standard, right? Because there wasn't one for core before that. Um, and we did that because we had to have a standard way to document hooks. But then what happened was when we were done with hooks, then all of a sudden we realized that all the rest of our documentation was sort of fragmented in terms of, you know, style and um, correctness and completeness. So that's sort of where I leapt, leapt onto it and started to try to get the other documentation in line. Right. One thing I'd like to ask you about, um, well, first of all, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't some things have to get rolled back in before the 4.2 release, specifically around updates? So uh, like yeah, in place? updates. Yeah, yeah. What did you call it? Shiny updates? Yeah, it was that was the name that we used was shiny updates. Right. Right. So so what happened there exactly? Well, and I, I guess I should rephrase that. It's not that shiny updates. It was it was shiny installs is what got reverted. 
Um, shiny updates stayed. Right. Shiny updates are essentially the ability to update plugins in line from the um, like the plugin list table. Which is a wonderful, wonderful feature. Yes. Every time I use it, I'm so happy. It just it just makes me smile. Exactly. And it, it was easily my favorite feature. Right. So that's so that's the uh, the no page reload. So you hit update and it just updates the plugin in place, doesn't reload right. the page. Yeah. Right. Right. That's nice. But the part that got reverted was that actually was also possible for installing plugins from the uh, like the plugin install screen. You could just click the install now button and it would just install it. There was right. no like redirection to another page and then activate. And that was actually why it got reverted was because we had no good handle on sort of what the activation procedure should be. Right. Should we auto activate it? You know, what happens if plugins redirect to some other page after activation? Which is pretty common. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why that's why we kind of rolled it back and said, well, maybe we should take a little more time with that part of it. I wonder, I, I think I'd, I'd love to see it uh, revisited and I, I'm not sure what the, <laughs> if there's a roadmap for it. But one thing that, one way that I can see that possibly working is you you click install and it goes ahead and install it and then gives you the prompt of, okay, do you want to continue browsing or well, and you know there was um, uh, Constantine Overland actually the four three release lead, and I had talked a little bit about maybe trying to tackle that in four four. I don't think it's obviously going to happen now, but um, Mel Choice, um, you know, from Automatic mm -hmm. had this really great idea. I, I don't want to. Hopefully, it was her idea um, <laughs> that uh, it was during four two to to use the plugin card UI. Right, so you click install, and then maybe the card flips over, and you get the information about the about the plugin installation, and you could click install or activate from there. For instance, I like that. Yeah, in cool. place, like that'd be kind of a. We, we talked about it a lot, and I think it was a really popular idea. It's just somebody's got to do it, you know. Right. I guess the flow wouldn't change then because you're still you would do both actions still. You'd still activate, and then you'd or sorry, you'd install, and then you'd activate it. Like two separate clicks. Right. But thing. the difference is it wouldn't take you to a new screen. It would just like yeah. do it in the sort of container in the screen. And I think that would be fantastic. Right. I really, uh, I want to dive into a comment that you just made about, uh, you said somebody just has to do it. So I think that is a, <laughs> that's something that anybody who has led development of community built software experiences at some point. So with with open source software, whether it's WordPress, a plugin for WordPress, or or a totally different software, be it Drupal or Joomla or any any open source software, there are people that lead development, and then there's also a lot of volunteers that kind of uh, well they volunteer their time to to work on something. What do you think are some of the challenges of of trying to lead the development of a community built software? especially one that's the size of WordPress. I mean, just being, being a lead, uh, whether it's a release lead or simply being a leader of the project and that you t spend a lot of time on the project, that doesn't mean that you can still build every single feature. A lot of times you have to get somebody to volunteer to build that. I'd love to dive in and kind of get an, an open discussion going about some of the challenges and advantages and good and bad of, of community. Well, I think the major elephant in the room basically is working with volunteers, right? <laughs> like, right. And Hey, I would love to build this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, a big part of that is, uh, well, I guess I should start with, you know, there's a nuance to that because everyone is a volunteer. Like even I'm a volunteer, but the difference is that Tenup is paying me to be a volunteer. Right. So there are some people who are being paid to volunteer because that, Volunteer distinction is very important in WordPress. Um, but some people are being paid to volunteer, and in those cases, they are more driven to work on larger features. Um, but then you have other people like, uh, oh, I don't know, Pippin Williamson here, who worked on some some of the pass the early password generation stuff that shipped with 4.3. Let's not, probably not go there. But... <laughs> uh, which, by the way, the backstory there is Pippin and I worked on that, and then they actually, like, basically redid all of our efforts because they had no idea that we had worked on it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so we discovered that both of them had been done almost exactly the same, which is slightly different, but yeah. one got completely <laughs> thrown away. So in that That's case, okay. we had okay. too many volunteers, I guess. Um, I, but volunteers is the big one. I think it's, 
it's working with people who don't necessarily have to do what they say they're going to do. So you pretty much just hope that they will. Um, so when you, when you get into the mindset of, well, if it's, you know, just somebody, somebody just needs to do it, that would be somebody just needs to step up and take charge. Even if they're not, even if they're not leading development, right? Like, because somebody leading an action item in core doesn't even necessarily have to be a developer. They just have to be able to produce results, right? So in a way you have almost miniature, miniature release leads, action item leads. I don't know. I think it, it really comes down to figuring out how to wrangle volunteers. So wrangling volunteers to actually get the work done is a big one. What about managing things like community expectations? Um, we see users, um, users who of software who are not developers, who are not involved with any of the development or the planning mm -hmm. process, uh, are one of the, the best voices for figuring out what the needs of a project are. Sure. We need this feature or this feature's buggy or this feature is just hard to use or right. whatever. How do we manage those kinds of expectations? Um, we, I mean, I think we all know that if you have somebody ask for something, you can't just let it sit there and be silent. You, ha you have to have an open flow of communication with, with users. Well, when you have a software that's used by millions and millions and millions <laughs> of people, how do you do that? You know, it's Insights? a... It's a tough balance. It really is. I mean, and when decisions are made, like for instance, in WordPress core, um, they try to weigh everything against what's known as the 80, 20 rule. That is, you know, whatever decision we make should benefit 80% of the user base. And the lead developers are pretty good at gauging what that is. Right. Mm -hmm. Had a pretty good track record with guessing what the, you know, educated guessing really what the what eighty percent of the user perceived users need, right? Um, I think it, it there is a delicate balance though because you don't want to alienate your user base by making decisions for them without their input. And I think we're seeing a lot of improvements in that area now. You know, we're starting to post proposals and roadmaps on the core development blog. It, and we've always sort of done that, but now we're making it more of a prevalent part of the process. Um, you know, you seen two, I think two now, two proposals for the shortcode roadmap, for instance. We've seen, and that affects a lot of people, tons of plugin authors, tons of users. Um, and we wanna make sure we get that right. So now more, more than ever, I think we're open sourcing the decision-making, I guess is a better way of putting it. Um, it's not that it wasn't open source before. It's just that it, there was a kind of a barrier to entry. Sure. Trying to make it more visible and easily accessible. Absolutely. Yeah. I think while my management of a project is significantly smaller than a smaller scale than say WordPress, we see that even in things like easy digital downloads, uh, where we're talking about a few thousand websites as opposed to a lot of millions, but we find that those exact same things apply in terms of just trying to be open that 80 20 rule is golden for i think i think any open source developer should or not even open source any developer who's building a project should try and use that 80 20 rule at least a good way to kind of get an a basic judgment on whether or not something should be built or fixed or changed you could have two very vocal users request a feature or a change over and over and over again but that sure. doesn't mean that it benefits everybody well yeah and it really becomes this idea that you have to sort of propose the problem before you can propose the solution. Um, and that's, you know, and WordPress has been very, very successful at putting the users first. And in a lot of cases, that's extremely frustrating to developers um, because we put the users first in almost every decision. <laughs> but that, then again, we also have a, an amazing market share in the industry. So, and I don't think those two are right. unrelated. <laughs> yeah. I noticed like during 4.2, you're doing Friday bug scrubs. Is that, was that something new that you implemented for that release or was it previous? Was it going on previously? Uh, it was absolutely going on previously. Okay. The, I think the difference is that, you know, every release does it differently. Usually as you get closer and closer to the end of the release, you're doing more and more frequent bug scrubs, right? The difference is I think that in previous releases, they had been doing, 
you know, like maybe a Friday bug scrub once a week or um, sometimes, sometimes it's sporadic, right? Like they'll do it right after the dev chat on Wednesday or they'll, I think um, we should probably describe what a bug scrub is. <laughs> right. So a bug scrub in the context of WordPress core would be, you know, we have reports of um, listing out all the bugs that are flagged for the current milestone. And typically what that means is we pick a chunk of that report to go through together as a group in chat and try to solve or get them moving. Because, you know, that's the, the endless battle during a, a release is to keep your ticket count as low as possible. Um, uh, Scott Taylor has been really on top of it in 4.4. Four, where He's really trying to keep it below 200, which is... Single-handedly. <laughs> well, I mean, not single-handedly, but he's definitely, yeah. It's, it's the, the bug scrub thing is mostly to try to keep tickets moving because they'll stagnate if you don't if you don't sort of nudge people along, you know, and a lot of that honestly is people upload patches and walk away and they don't recognize that they need to participate in their tickets in order to keep them moving. It, right. If you want to get, if you want a ticket to be resolved, you need to participate. I mean, any amount of time that you put into it is always appreciated, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be put in. I wonder if uh, some of the kind of leaders in the core community should be pushier because <laughs> like right now, like I've noticed that, um, like I get notifications when, um, you know, there's people are posting on the t a ticket that I submitted a patch to or something. Right. But no one really says, Brad, get in on this. You know what I mean? Like, like nudge, you know, or something. Um, uh, it's definitely easier to ask than yeah. it is to tell. Right. And that's, I think, you know, the last couple of years we've really started to get into this habit of you know everyone needs to be welcoming no matter what no matter who you are no matter what your skill level is you're welcome on track um, we will walk you through it if you don't know how to do it um, so I think it's a lot better to ask you know Wonder Boy Music can you please take a look at this versus well you know I think there's a ticket there's this I can't remember what the number is I think it's like 17187 or something and it's for this recursion ticket that that we've been pestering Mason to to review for like a couple of weeks now you know and it's not like we can't just say Mason do this well, I mean he doesn't he doesn't have anything to keep him busy yeah he doesn't have anything to keep him busy I mean it's, he's, it's not like he's working at the White House or anything <laughs> right so it's honestly it's easier to ask and it's better to ask because it's a push-pull relationship in in WordPress hmm. development do we pose that question often enough? I mean, or do we just kind of stay silent and and hope that they come back? You know what I mean? In general life or, or in WordPress development? In, in WordPress development, yeah. In the context of WordPress development. You know, I think we're getting better. There's, you know, there's been this sort of number floating around 3,000 tickets. I don't know if you've heard that. Um, we're trying to get below 3,000 tickets. And that's, you know, the problem we have is, in any, any given release, we're fielding new tickets coming in. Some of them are related to the release. Some of them are just random things that people are asking for. And we have to continually try to keep the ticket count down. And the way you do that by is by commenting on tickets and finding duplicates and and all those sorts of and triaging, right? And that's that's kind of it it plays into your question. It's like if somebody just dumps a ticket and track and they don't participate, then you have to kind of figure out like, well, do I need to nudge this person along or is this something that's really kind of plug-in material or um, do we have time, you know, time and resources to work on this? Maybe it's maybe later. Now, honestly, keeping on top of the never ending fire hose of tickets is, is a real challenge <laughs> because we're keeping up with new tickets coming in and trying to get rid of tickets that have been stagnating in track for years in some cases. Yeah. I, ca I can't imagine uh, trying to do that at all. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> no. I just, I just look at like a very tiny, just tiny little corner, little slice of the tickets, you know, and I find that's hard to keep on top of half the time. Right. On, a, on, a, on a small scale, um, or not 
super small scale, but a much smaller than the Firehose scale. Uh, it's kind of like trying to manage customer support requests while also trying to fix the things that cause those requests at the same time. Exactly. Uh, keep it on top of that is challenging. And then the Firehose on WordPress core is just that times 5,000. Yeah. I mean, and we have a good, you know, we have a good crew of people that sort of do a lot of triage work. Chris, um, I don't know what his actual name is. <laughs> Chris CC. Chris yeah. Chris Kristoff um, has been doing amazing work triaging tickets the last couple months. He's a machine. Um, he is. And honestly, I mean, sort of to go back to your original question, Brad, I think we sort of employ a strategy with tickets. You know, if somebody reports something and walks away and we ask for feedback and after like some reasonable grace period, they don't come back. We're just going to close the ticket because we don't want it just sitting there. You kind of generally have to nudge people along, but some people are better at it than, better at it than others. So some people don't necessarily need that nudging. They just have to do it. <laughs> and we, and we circle back to, they just have to do it. <laughs> right. And the fire hose is really interesting. So I'll share a little bit of um, how we feel about it. <laughs> so we've, as a company, we've been doing uh, the core contributor day. Like, so every member of the team spends an entire day doing core uh, contribution. What we found after doing it for a few months is um, we spent like half that day just trying to catch up on tickets and, and find a ticket to work on that, you know, that made sense. And like, so we spent a lot of time just looking at tickets and just participating in the tickets and not actually coding, uh, which most of us felt was where our value, the main value that we could bring to the project would be. And so we, we, we were a little discouraged by it, to, to be honest. And so, which is one of the reasons we moved over to Glotpress, because the fire hose there is just a trickle, right, comparatively. And we felt we could make a, a bigger dent over there. And so that's just, I just wanted to share that with you guys. But um, I think the value of, of triaging a fire hose is, is one of those that is pretty under, um, not necessarily underappreciated, but under... People don't quite, a lot of times don't realize how valuable it is just triaging those tickets. And actually, that's what I was going to mention was, I mean, I think a lot of people get discouraged because their tickets aren't seeing a lot of movements. And honestly, now we're in a position where if you categorize your ticket properly, someone will see it. Someone will read it. Someone will probably interact with it fairly quickly because we have component maintainers now, right? Where people follow and people sort of, shepherd specific tickets and different components. And if you can try to get the component pretty close or the focus pretty close when you create the initial ticket, it's pretty likely that the component maintainer will get back to you pretty fast, which is like night and day compared to what it used to be like, you know, because there was basically all people shepherding all tickets in a way. Whereas now you sort of have, people taking the lead within their own components, which is really fantastic for track gardening. I found that for, for me as an outside contributor that, that is I, I, over the last year, I've been trying to get a little bit more actively involved in like a particular area. And I found that just subscribing to one component, like I subscribe to the plugins and the users components, I think just doing that alone made it much, much easier for, for me at least to give back some of that time and to, to manage it uh, and get a better understanding and idea of what goes on there. That's a good I, approach. I mean, it, it, because the problem is people come into core and they get overwhelmed, right? There, there's right. so many things to keep track of. And, you know, in my case, it's my job to keep track of all those things, <laughs> but it's not everyone's. And you're right. It's absolutely the best approach to maybe pick a couple of components that interest you and stick with those. And I think it also goes to show the importance of making sure that a ticket does get put into the right component, because that way, those people that do focus in a particular component, they're going to see it. Sure. I want to ask about uh, something that just happened in uh, pretty recently, and that's language packs. Drew, I would love to hear your thoughts on language packs for plugins. Uh, <laughs> Real quick, actually, for anybody who's listening that doesn't know, can you explain what language packs or plugins are? So the basic gist is that um, 
WordPress.org is adding support to the um, translation infrastructure they already have in place for translating things like WordPress core to making it possible to translate all plugins in the repository and like all themes in the repository. You know, and there's various rules that go along with that, like how to make that work. You know, that your text domains have to match your plugin or your theme or whatever. Yeah. But the, but the basic thing is, I mean, the infrastructure of language packs is awesome, right? The, the idea is awesome that any plugin, any theme could be translated. I think it's going to be a little bit of a rocky start because, you know, you know, theoretically, right, plugin developers who are already localizing their strings already have translators who could then go and contribute on the, um, I think it's Rosetta or GlotPress or whatever, uh, you know, as part of the Polyglots team. They could go directly contribute to the translations of your plugin, but they have to do it through this other interface now or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's going to be a little bit of a rocky start, and that's my personal opinion, because I think right now what we have is the core translators who maybe feel like they're getting the entire plugin repository and theme repositories dumped on them. I <laughs> know uh, I can't confirm that, but I would, I think my first question would be, did I sign up for this? <laughs> right. Um, but I think there's a ton of plugins that do have translators. I'm assuming you guys have translators. At, for we EDD. do. So EDD has uh, last we counted is partially to hundred percent translated into 120 languages. Wow. I didn't realize it was that many until the other day when we counted them and we had to double count because we thought that was too high. We're like, no way. That's right. Turns out it is because we have a guy um, who's just amazing that wrangles translators. Um, but you mentioned something a little bit ago about it being a little bit of a rocky road, possibly. I might get in trouble with Dominic Schilling for saying that, but I, I that's my well, personal opinion. I want to, I, I, I want to, I want to tell you about kind of the way the re, one of the reasons that it's a rocky road for us. No, now let me preface this by saying, I'm very excited about being able to translate plugins on wordpress.org. I think it's a really, really cool infrastructure that while it may take a little while to pick up speed, I think in the end will be awesome. So the reason that it was a little rough for us, one, we had to change a text domain, yeah. uh, which was a lot more, we thought it was actually gonna be a lot more painful than it was. We mm-hmm. successfully changed it. We had to change 318 files on over and over 3,400 text strings. And so far, we haven't had a single ticket about anything breaking, crossing That's fingers. Awesome. But anyway, Bernard, uh, and I, I'm always going to get in trouble with him because I never know how to actually pronounce his name. But he goes by, <laughs> F, he goes by FXB, uh, and he is one of the, the French maintainers for, for WordPress.org. He's also and does a lot of translations. But he managed the EDD translations for us on TransFX. Yeah. And he was amazing at wrangling translators and getting people together to to translate languages. And that's why we have 120 different languages for EDD. Um, but so the rocky road for us now is we have this big project that he's been working on and getting all these translators involved with. And now suddenly it's split. So there's TransFX where you can still translate it. And now there's WordPress.org. Where should you contribute translations to? Well, um, and that's the thing. I mean, it seems to me that it's opt-in, right? If you opt-in, uh, you essentially opt out by not matching their text domain requirements. Or by just not doing it. Right. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, the, the real benefit you get out of language packs is that is that you no longer have to ship all of those languages with your plugin because it comes from WordPress.org. So it, it, it comes in an, on an as-needed basis, right? right. And that's, that's, that's the really cool part. So you say you have 120 languages but i mean who speaks 120 languages it's right you know they're you're, you're why, why should somebody who's, who's speaking basque. why somebody who's speaking basque why should they have english chinese german spanish and all these other languages installed with them because it's there's it's just pointless yeah i think it's going to cut the download size just slightly i mean because the 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 pub and mo files are definitely they right. take up a little space now so the caveat though is that the only languages that get shipped are those that have 100 percent translation yeah which is tough. Oh, and that's, wow. that's huh. the rule for four. And that's just, I mean, that's how it works. Right. So basically if, if you have translation files that are not a hundred percent, you, sh- you ship them with your plugin. As soon as they reach a hundred percent, you take them out of your plugin. Then they get shipped via the language packs. Right. Which is, uh, 
yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a, they probably just want to make sure they're shipping complete translations. Right. There, um, there's good and bad sides to it. But I mean, it's a really cool improvement. I mean, it's been coming for a really long time. You know, we've been shipping translations for core for a really long time, but sort of moving that into the plugin and theme space, I think it's going to be really interesting to, you know, the, they'll work out the problems. If, yeah. if there's, if we, if they find that the hundred percent rule isn't, isn't really feasible, then they might have to relax that, but we'll see. Well, one of the things that I'm excited for is that I think it opens up the world of translation a lot better. Sure. Um, before like translating a plugin has always been, it's different for every plugin. Number one, because not all plugins can be trans can be translated different. Everyone manages translations in a different way. So it's opening up a, a general process for translating plugins across the board and making it accessible for, for anyone. And that excites me a lot. One another benefit of it is you can contribute a translation. And if you get it approved, it can still be hosted on WordPress.org. And you can download that file, the translation file and use it in, in a plugin. It doesn't have to be 100%. Um, right. You can still utilize that system for translated plugins. And now it's easy. You go to translate.wordpress.org, you pick your language, and then you go find a plugin. So if somebody is looking to get involved with contributing to the WordPress project, whether it's core plugins, themes, meta, turns out you can also translate like the iOS and the Android apps through this, which I didn't know until now. Somebody who wants to get involved can can do that much more easily now. And that well, excites me. Well, and you know, it's funny you speak of the people who can get involved. The thing is, is, you know, there's a validation process in, in approving translations. So literally, if you speak another language, you can help translate. And that is, that's insane. If you think about it, if you, <laughs> anyone who speaks any language can help. Yeah. That's so that's cool. Crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like the, in my opinion, it's like the rest API coming to core is the same as language packs coming to plugins in a way, mm -hmm. just like the impact. I think it's going to have an amazing impact on people's abilities to feel like they have something to contribute, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, when uh, the .org team gamifies the translation system. <laughs> so, so you get badges for more translation. Actually, I thought, actually, I thought there was a badge already for translation. Is oh, there really? Really? I actually think they, they had two profile badges and I think now they're going back to one. So, uh, but yeah, I would Dang talk it, to, I wish I spoke another language. Sam Siddler about that. <laughs> Sam Siddler's your man. Talk about <laughs> gamifying that. <laughs> Nice. I have been talking to Sam actually about uh, the GlotPress plugin that we're, we're working together on um, moving GlotPress GlotPress to a plugin rather than a standalone install. Um, so that's yeah. I, th I think I just saw Sam post an update to to the Make Blogs about that. He yep. did. Very yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that'll be yeah that'll be nice for anybody that doesn't know. Translate.wordpress.org is powered by GlotPress. So Which if you is want not currently. Well, it's backpress based currently, right? Right. It's it's not GlotPress out of the box, but it is based on that. Right. And they're the plan for them is to roll they're gonna roll it into a WordPress plugin. Right. Or a, a part of the team is going to do that. Yeah. That's it's the plan. really exciting. I think it's gonna be awesome. We've got a little bit of time left. Um, Drew, there's there's one more subject I'd like to get your your thoughts on and there's kind of two aspects to it. Number one, I am very excited about term meta coming in WordPress 4.4. I think that is very exciting. It's introducing a new table for, for term meta and a new new metadata API, not really a new metadata API, but a new set of helper functions for adding metadata to taxonomy terms. Um, and this goes along with uh, the next part of my question is, what are your thoughts on plugins using things like custom tables? Uh, well, you know very well what my take is on that because we talked about it at WordCamp Cape Town a couple of weeks ago. But all right, so first of all, term meta, very exciting. That's very that's a long time coming, right? And I think even now the 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 switch hasn't flipped for some people. You know, sort of like remember when uh, custom taxonomies and custom post types came out, people were like, "Well, why would I ever need another post type?" It's I think. I think when the flip, when the switch flips, it's really going to be cool because we're really, really going to see a lot of cool stuff. Um, in terms of separate tables, I think there's, 
Uh, and actually, Pippin, I'm gonna I'm gonna cite you. From, I think an earlier <laughs> one of your earlier apply filters episodes. I mean, uh, it was something along the lines of I think that it's it's perfectly fine to have a separate table if you have a large sort of diverse data set that you need to access, and it's not really something that fits within the scope of a current, you know, like the post a post object. You know, tons of people try to flex post objects to do all kinds of things because they want to use existing WordPress tables when I think in a lot of cases it would be a lot more efficient to use a separate table. <laughs> That's subjective. I sure. think it's, you know, the only time I would ever really consider using a separate table is if it was um, something where I needed to directly impact performance, such as, you know, indexing very specific columns, um, but also where I had a large large diverse data set that really didn't fit within the confines of the current WordPress object. And one little follow-up question for you. What are, so I'm very excited for term edit. I know you are as well. What are some basic examples? I actually saw a conversation on Twitter, like during this episode I was watching where Jeff Rowe from WB Tavern asked, so what, <laughs> what does term meta really mean? Like, how can we use it? Why don't you give us and the listeners a few examples of I think what we spit out a couple use. examples in the and in that thread, I think we spit out a couple. Like um, you could set featured images for categories. I can't remember what some of the other ones were, but it was like you could set. It's basically like imagine posts with no post meta, right? That's what terms were before term meta. Mm -hmm. um, so you can you can add any kind of arbitrary extraneous information to a term now, um, whereas. Before you couldn't. Another good example is like, let's say you're running a membership site, right? You could assign permissions to specific tags, or you could There's actually assign resources to specific tags, right? Or to, to expand or on your example there, permissions. Yeah. This is something I did three or four years ago. Uh, somebody wanted to password protect every post that was in a particular category. And so using a piece of term meta set a password for that post and that had to all be done custom back then. But now right. you could very easily just say, uh, add a piece of term meta that says, this is the password. And if a post is loaded, that's in this category, require a password to view it. Yeah. I mean, it's it, honestly, the sky is the limit. And I think it's going to be just like, like I said, just like what happened when post types came out, you know, I think, Justin Tadlock was instrumental in sort of getting that switch flipped in people's minds. I think he did like a book catalog or something example around 3.0 or 3.1. And that really, I think, turned it on, turned a lot of people on to, you know, using post types. So I think it would be nice to see somebody really push something out there using term meta to sure. really get people's minds turning because there's going to be some really cool stuff that comes out of this. I like your I like your example with the featured image for a category. I think that's what you said. Because, um, yeah. like, I can picture that category page. And, like, at the top of that category page, there'd be, you know, a, an image and maybe a description about the category as well, right? And, right, which, and, yeah. And up till now, all you had was a title, a slug, and a description field for terms. Right. <laughs> now you I believe, uh, was it Justin Tadlock that wrote the taxonomy images plugin? I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure I don't. Well, so there's a, there's a plugin written a long time ago called taxonomy images. So that was basically exactly that. It allowed you to assign an image to a taxonomy. Uh, no, sorry, not, it wasn't Justin Tadlock. It was Michael Fields that wrote it. Um, and it was basically for that exact same purpose, but this is using a completely custom system. Um, Justin Tadlock did just show an example on, on Twitter in response to Je to Jeffro's question uh, where what if you could have, okay, it's very common for news blogs like WB Tavern, for example, to tag posts with people's names. So sure. you could go in and you can view the Justin Tadlock tag on WB Tavern and view all the posts talking about him or related to him in some way. And something cool that you could do then is to show an image in that archive of Justin Tadlock because it's about him. Right. Uh, and I think that would be cool. Yeah. And that, I mean, obviously that's a really simple example, but right. I think it would be really... I think we're going to see some really interesting sort of mind bending things going on, right? Like, Oh, Oh, I can totally do that now. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And we're not going to know what those things are until people do them. I think it's, 
that's that's what happens with post types and it's going to happen again you know that's, that's, my, that's really one exciting. of my my favorite things in, in development is that you never know how somebody is going to use it and people will use whatever feature you build in completely unexpected ways well that's, and that's cool. you know in some cases that's that's the goal right in other cases not so much right in other <laughs> cases it's the why did you do that <laughs> unintended consequences <laughs> You know, I tell people this a lot, and that is, you know, they ask why we don't just add hooks for all the things in core. And my response to that is, I documented all of them, or I helped document all of them, and now I don't want to add any new hooks, <laughs> because I recognize that we have to support them forever. <laughs> so the first so, time you introduce a hook that then gets used for unexpected un, uh, reasons and causes <laughs> unexpected consequences, you start second-guessing whether you should add a hook in places. Well, and th so that's just an example. I think it's it's really just, you, you should think about what you're introducing. But in this case, I think that was absolutely the goal. We had, um, I had a, a perfect example of that happened to us recently where we have a hook inside of EDD. Uh, it, it fires like during the process of verifying a download link. And it, that hook got used for a, a additional like verification or error messages in extensions. And the way that it was used actually completely broke our ability to introduce a new feature because <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't introduce the feature because that it, it was broken by the usage of that hook, uh, and that was completely unexpected and a little bit unfortunate. But that's just the way it was. Right. I remember. I remember having a conversation uh, with one with one of my developers about about that because they, they were using hooks like everywhere. Instead of just calling a function, they would just use a hook because it was like super flexible. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's probably not a good idea. Do we really want people in there uh, hooking into this? Because that's what's probably going to happen. You know? So, yeah. Well, Drew, it's been awesome. We probably shouldn't keep you too much longer. It's been great to have you on. Thank you for all of your insight and and for everything as you do, keep it yeah. up. Thanks Absolutely. a lot. Well, th thank you for having me. I, I, I love apply filters. So this oh. is an honor. Well, glad to hear it. Uh, let's give a quick shout out to our sponsors, the WP Ninjas. Um, I want to highlight something that they just released recently. Oh, um, man, it's so they, cool. <laughs> they are previewing 3.0 of Ninja Forms. And something that's really cool that they've done is they've decided to hire a design or UX agency to completely help them rebuild their UI and to rethink like what we have some standard UIs in WordPress that we just expect. And they brought someone in from outside and just said, let's throw all of that away. Let's still build something that, that works really, really well. And let's see what happens. And they previewed it. And it's really cool what they've done. So go check out their Twitter feed uh, at uh, either at, I think it's at WP Ninjas on Twitter. Uh, they've got some cool stuff. So check them out. They've you know, been... I couldn't find a tweet that had that video in it besides James. James's I found private. somebody that replied to the, that question asking where it was and they linked it up. Oh, did they? Okay. Well, we'll... On, it, it is also on their YouTube channel. So if we'll you find add, them there. We'll add it to the show notes too. There we go. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, WP Ninjas have been awesome. They've been instrumental in helping us keep the show going. So go check them out. All right. Thanks everybody. Thank you.